Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Put it into the context of all the things that you've already taught your kids. Because anybody listening to this, you have taught your children many, many things. You've taught them to brush their teeth. You've taught them to have nice manners when they visit their grandparents. You've taught them how to share at the playground when people come up and ask if they can use their toy. You've taught them so many different things. How did you do it? You hung in there. You repeated yourself. You didn't talk too much, but you gave them language. You role modeled it for them. You can't role model emotional regulation for kids if you yourself are freaking out. You've got to be patient and consistent with this thing. Consistency is the name of the game. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Hey, Lynn. Hey, Robin. So I know we're going to cover some listener questions you wanted to discuss, but I have one that I think would be so helpful to many listeners because actually it's the feedback I get from my friends. Oh, okay. Not all of them, but some of them. Yeah, you only have a few. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I only have a few on purpose. So anyways, a couple of friends have mentioned this at different times, and I have a feeling a lot of listeners will be happy to hear your advice. Okay. And actually, I have a little advice too. Okay. People say, I listen to the podcast, but I don't know what to do. Like, I know here's a moment I'm supposed to say something, but I just don't know what to do. And I also hear like, well, this was kind of helpful, but it wasn't exactly like my situation. So you know what? Like, let's just unpack this because here's the thing. So I'm a consumer. I'm not in the mental health profession. However, I have been listening to what you've said with consistency for the last three years, like a therapy practice. Correct. This stuff is not expected to just like make perfect sense overnight. And so it's like, if you didn't get it, listen to the episode again and again until like whatever it is you need for these aha moments. And I will tell you that as a consumer, when I go back and listen to an episode that we've done a while ago and I hear it, I'm like, dang, that's really interesting. And it's like I'm hearing it for the first time. So I just think everyone needs to recognize that this isn't like a, here's a recipe how to make a chocolate cake. Follow these steps and you'll have a chocolate cake in two hours, right? Like you have to be committed to this kind of integral change. It's more like, here's a recipe to make some sourdough bread and you're going to have to make 
52 loaves of bread before you're able to get a loaf of bread that you really enjoy. I mean, and maybe it's not that all or nothing, but I experienced the same thing. And it is interesting to me. I do get a lot of questions. I get a lot of questions when I speak. People email me questions. And you're exactly right. It's sort of like, okay, I listen to the podcast, but when this thing happens, I don't know exactly what to say. I mean, I know I say this all the time, but this is how people get caught up in the content. And this is how people want the exact thing for their situation. But it really is about being able to understand the bigger process. Yes. The bigger process is that you can come up with what the skill is that you think your child needs. And there aren't that many. It's not like there's a menu of 272 of them. There's really a menu of probably reasonably, I don't know, maybe 10 that we would focus on. And so, for example, the skill of being flexible, the skill of managing when things don't go the way that you expect. Sometimes, like I was just talking to somebody, a young person getting these part-time jobs that teenagers get, and he never likes the job. And I was telling him, the skill you have to develop is the ability to tolerate a crappy job because you're 16. Some of those jobs are going to be more agreeable than others. So you have to look at the bigger skill. Let me give you an example. Say somebody said, I really want to raise children that are kind. That's what they said. I really want to raise children that are kind. And then they were like, so what should we do in the grocery store? How do I teach them to be kind in the grocery store? And you talked about teaching kindness on the playground, but how would I teach kindness if we were at a trampoline park? Right. I mean, it's people want the specifics. You've got to step back and really look at the big picture of all of this. If your child is anxious about something, it's not that you need the perfect words for the perfect situation. It means that you need to be fairly conversant in we're going to expect worry to show up. We're going to externalize it. And then we're going to experiment by stepping in and doing things that make you feel uncomfortable or that makes the worry show up. And then parents will say, well, I tried to talk to them about that. And they said that was stupid and they won't do it. And then they say, so what else do I do? No, that's what you do, right? You've got to repeat it and you've got to model it. And they have to understand it. One of the biggest barriers to this is that they say, okay, so Lynn says that we can't avoid. Lynn says we have to move into the situation and my child refuses. So what do I do? Well, have you talked to them? Have you role modeled? Have you practiced it? If you've got a child who's having difficulty going to sleep at night, have you talked about it during the day that this is what's going to happen, that when worry shows up, this is what we're going to say? Have you written it down? Right. You can't just wait for the situation to show up, have your child have their amygdala go off and then think that that's the time that you're going to teach them how to use these strategies. So put it into the context of all the things that you've already taught your kids, because anybody listening to this, you have taught your children many, many things. You've taught them to brush their teeth. You've taught them to have nice manners when they visit their grandparents. You've taught them how to share at the playground when people come up and ask if they can use their toy. You've taught them so many different things. How did you do it? You hung in there. You repeated yourself. You didn't talk too much, but you gave them language. You role modeled it for them. 
You can't role model emotional regulation for kids if you yourself are freaking out. You've got to be patient and consistent with this thing. Consistency is the name of the game. So everybody knows people come in to see me and we work on things and then they come back and they say, well, I didn't do it right. Or I forgot what I was supposed to do or it didn't work. Totally fine. You're just going to do it again. If you've taught your kid how to drive a standard transmission like I have, it did not go smoothly. There were a lot of jerky moments, jerky as in the car and jerky as in what the kid said to me. There were a lot of stalls. (laughs) There were a lot of frustration. There was a lot of big feelings. There was a lot of success and there was a lot of practice. And then they figured it out. That's how this thing works. That's how life works. It is how life works. You're exactly right. I mean, just think of anything that you've taught yourself or you've taught your kids, right? So you've got to become conversant in this. I'll tell you, remember that show, Robin, where the nanny would go into the house with the parents? Super nanny? Yeah. Was that Joe, like the British nanny? Right. Yeah. I'm pretty convinced that American kids will listen to anybody better if you talk with the British accent. I just feel like that happens. It does. So I think that people really like that show and they love the idea of having somebody right there. It's like the Cyrano de Bergerac idea, right? That they're in your ear. They're right there. They're coaching you as you go. I get it. People will say to me, how much would it cost? Can you just come home with us? Can you just live with us for a week so that we can get moment to moment coaching to put this stuff into place? I totally get that. And I usually say, well, I mean, if the price is right. You're teasing. Don't say that. Now everyone's going to write you. (laughs) Well, maybe. I mean, I can be bought, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be $52. So that's, I get the appeal of that. You know, I really like what you said is that if you go back and you listen to something more than once, when my husband is selling books, because he's such a big promoter of me, I mean, he just is like, he's such a fan of people doing things. He's your number one fanboy. Maybe. Yeah, he is. I guess he probably is. Okay. He even bakes cakes for your book parties. He does. It's adorable. But when people come up to the book table, they will say, well, which book should I get? Should I get this book or should I get that book? And I always hear him say, now, look, you can get the book and you can read the book, but you have to do the book. And he will tell you, if he was here right now, a person came up to us at one of our events so many years ago and said to him, because he was selling books, I just want to let you know. We had no idea what to do with our child. He was 10 years old. He was so anxious. He wasn't going to school. We bought the book and we did it. We did what Lynn said and it worked. He always tells that story. So this is an active process and it's not going to happen in just a week. It's not going to happen in a day. And when you present this stuff, remember, anxiety by its very nature does not want to cooperate. It's all about avoidance. It's all about no thank you. It's all about how do I get out of here? It's about consistency. You've got to follow through and it's okay if you're repeating yourself. I repeat myself all the time. I would also like to point out that you should ask yourself, is it my child's anxiety that's interfering with implementing these changes or is it mine? Yes, you should. (laughs) (laughs) When we come back from a break, we will start going into some of these listener questions. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. 
So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, and I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep, that is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclucks. Thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks. Okay, we're back. Okay, Lynn, we have a listener's question right here. All right. First one. Okay. How do you know when it is time to add medication? My 10-year-old has been in therapy for close to two years, but only the last six months with an OCD expert. We've all learned a lot and improved in so many ways, including reducing many compulsions. But she still struggles with intrusive thoughts, worry, and OCD that leads to checking, sleep, and nearly constant ticks. How do you make the decision of when to add meds? Her therapist suggested it might be time, but we're a little nervous to add anything that might make things worse. 
Okay. This is a very good question. And here's what I love about this question is that it shows us a few things. One is that they were in therapy for two years. A year and a half of it was clearly not spent with somebody who was addressing the issue. So now they're with somebody and in six months working with somebody on the OCD, they've already figured out how to interrupt compulsions. I'm sure the parents are getting a lot of education about it. So there's just a far greater understanding of this thing. What we know about kids with OCD, and remember, OCD is one of the disorders. It used to be an anxiety disorder. It used to be under that heading. Now it's got its own category, and there is a strong genetic push for it. So we see it showing up. Sometimes, you know, the average age of it showing up is a little bit later, between 12 and 13 or 14, but we do see kids that have an earlier onset of the symptoms, and this is one of those kids. It also does not mean if it shows up earlier, that is not an indicator that it's worse or that treatment is going to fail. Early onset does not equate with, oh no, we've got this really bad early onset OCD. So that's important to remember. What we do see for kids whose brains are really sticky with OCD, in my experience and what the research shows as well, is that after you've been in therapy for a while and you're learning the language and parents are learning how to support, that sometimes a little bit of an SSRI, in particular sertraline or Zoloft, can help with OCD symptoms. So it is not inappropriate at all for you to say, well, maybe we should try this and see what happens. Remember that when you try a medication like this, there is no requirement that you stick with the medication if it's not working. One of the things you want to pay attention to when you start a child with OCD on Zoloft is that there can be a pretty dramatic side effect where they are really agitated. So they will say, it feels like they're going to jump out of their skin. It feels like they've had 10 cups of coffee, which they wouldn't know what that feels like, but we can relate to that. They just feel so agitated. They feel antsy. They feel like, oh, they can't just, they can't settle down. That side effect will show up pretty quickly. And if it shows up, you stop the medication right away. So it usually shows up within 48 hours or so that side effect is not going to go away. And so you're just going to pull the plug on it. Not a huge deal, no permanent damage or anything like that. The other side effects that you might see early on is that sometimes there's some headaches or some tummy aches, but that usually goes away within a week or two. So it is perfectly fine at this point if you guys feel like you are really working on this therapeutically as a family, but she, she needs a little bit of help with these sticky thoughts, that it might be time to give it a try. You can wait a little longer. That's okay too. When kids have medication for OCD, if they don't have good therapy with it, oftentimes when you take away the medication, the symptoms of the OCD will return within a few months. But there is research that shows that if kids have a limited time period of the medication while they continue to learn the skills of dealing with the OCD, can then pull back the medication 
and even go off the medication as they get older and they can do really well. So nobody should tell you that if you start your 10-year-old on OCD meds, that they will be on them for the rest of their life. That is not an accurate statement. Some people are, but there's no reason to think that. It sounds like you're on the right track. I hope that with the intrusive thoughts that you're really, really working with her that she understands that this is what her brain does. It's a weird brain fart. Those intrusive thoughts are usually disturbing. That's the nature of the intrusive thoughts, and they mean nothing. The content is absolutely meaningless, but the very nature of these thoughts is that they're scary and that they're not in keeping with who she sees herself as a person, her values. That's the very nature of them. So I hope that that message has been given to her loud and clear and that there's no interpretation of the intrusive thoughts. It's just part of the OCD. You mentioned earlier that you should stop the medication if you don't feel like it's doing much. Mm -hmm. What timeline do you think it needs in combination with the ongoing therapy that has shown progress? So say she goes on the medication and they stay on it for four months, and they say, you know what, we really didn't see any difference. Then you might decide that you're going to wean off of it. You know, I would give it a few months. If the child is tolerating the medication well with no significant or difficult side effects, I would give it a few months to see. You know what? It really, sometimes kids have OCD and they go on medication. In particular, they go on an SSRI like sertraline. And the symptom reduction, the ability for them to be able to not be held hostage by these obsessive thoughts is really dramatic. And that can be a wonderful thing. You usually see that within a few weeks, I would say. If you give your child Zoloft, and this goes for all these medications, and then like the next day, they're like, woohoo, this happens with teenagers a lot. They're feeling depressed. And then we give them one dose of Prozac and they're like, I'm a new person. Nope, you just took a placebo. It doesn't work that way. But we can see some reduction in symptoms pretty quickly. Sometimes it's really just a matter of asking them, do they think the medication makes a difference for them. And they'll be able to tell you at age 10, she will be able to tell you. So I think it after six months of good OCD therapy, if the therapist is saying, let's give this a try, this is one of the situations where I have seen some really helpful improvement with these types of medications. And you do not have to stay on them. If you have any concerns about side effects or anything at all, you can stop the medication. But if there's no side effects. And if you're willing to hang in there for a little while, I would go at least for several months and see what you're noticing for sure. Okay. We have a second question. Okay. I'm a new listener, new to the group, and I'm learning so much. My 10-year-old anxious son tends to over-apologize, usually when he's done something that he should apologize for, but also when he's done nothing. He just says, I'm sorry, over and over and hugs me repeatedly. When it is something he's done, I've tried responding with, thanks for saying sorry, but you only need to say it once. But that doesn't seem to do it. When he hasn't done anything, we try to ask him what he's apologizing for. But then he ends up apologizing for saying sorry. I feel like it's his anxiety needing constant reassurance. He says that when we reprimand him for something, he feels like we don't love him. And I'm trying to find a way to help him without feeding the anxiety. Any suggestions would be amazing. All right. So speaking of OCD, this is really kind of an OCD-ish pattern. So mom, you're exactly right, is that he is seeking reassurance. 
And when we are looking at anxiety in general, when we're looking at worry in general, it is a doubt factory. And when we are looking at OCD patterns, it is the doubt factory of doubt factories. So what you've got is he's having these thoughts that he's done something wrong. One of the things we see with OCD is that there is this what if component. What if I did something wrong and I don't know it? What if I'm about to do something wrong? I think I might have done something wrong. There's a real discomfort with the idea that you've done something wrong. And then you have to apologize. That becomes a compulsion. So you're seeing almost compulsive apologizing that he's doing because he's so worried that he did do something wrong or he might have done something wrong. This is really important. The content doesn't matter. What that means is when you see this behavior, there is no need to sort of explain to him or ask him what he thinks he did. You really want to talk to him and help educate him about this pattern. So being able to say to him, you know what, it seems that you have a part of you, you've got this little voice inside you, you've got this little part of your brain that worries a lot that you might have done something wrong or that you've made a big, horrible mistake. And the way you're trying to make yourself feel better is then to apologize. So you have the thought and then you want to do the thing that makes you feel better. And I think you get stuck in this pattern. So I would lay out the pattern for him and then I would say, so we have to be able to stop this pattern and one of the ways we're going to work on stopping this pattern is that if you apologize to me for something, maybe, you know, there may be you accidentally knock over my water glass or you do something, you step on my toe and you say, oh, mom, I'm sorry. And I'm going to say, oh, okay, thanks. You know, no problem. But if I notice that it has that feel to it, that you're apologizing over and over again, or it has that feel to it that you're worried that you might have done something wrong, then we're going to come up with a word or a phrase that lets both of us know that we're stuck in this pattern. Remember that when somebody is compulsing, when a child is compulsing, And when you stop engaging in the compulsion with them, that causes distress. The nature of the compulsion is to relieve the distress. And when you interrupt the compulsion, it doesn't feel good. That has to be explained to him as well. What you're trying to do is interrupt a pattern. And the pattern just happens to be about this compulsing of apologizing, this compulsive need to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You want to explain to him what the pattern is. And then you want to tell him that you two, whoever else is in the family, are not going to get sucked in to doing what his worry or his OCD wants. The book I like for younger kids is What to Do When Your Brain Gets Stuck by Don Hubner. It's a workbook. He's 10. I think it would be enlightening for him and enlightening for you. And it would help you guys interrupt this pattern. It truly has nothing to do with whether or not he's done anything wrong. What it has everything to do with is that his brain is telling him he might have done something wrong and he's trying to relieve that doubt. Let's take a break and we'll get back with some more questions. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful, but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. 
It's in-network with most major insurers. There's no need to commute to appointments. You won't miss time at work or have to line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective and find tools to cope in difficult times. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Well, many are destined to fail. But lucky for you, here's one easy resolution idea that we gave you that we can all make and it will make your life easier. It'll be kinder to our planet and it will transform the way you do laundry in 2024. And that is switching to EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze looks like dryer sheets, but it's ultra-concentrated laundry detergent and it couldn't be easier. You just throw a sheet in with your laundry in any temperature and you watch it dissolve in any wash cycle hot or cold. There's no measuring, there's no mess, there's no fuss, there's no wasteful plastic jug. EarthBreeze fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. The best part is you'll never run out again thanks to EarthBreeze flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you'll save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Shipping's always free and it comes in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. So switching to EarthBreeze won't only make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if EarthBreeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks. That's earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks for 40% off your subscription. Okay, let's get back to this conversation. We have one other question. Okay. This listener has two kids, and she's asking a question based on a recent episode. I'm just curious about something you mentioned on your podcast where Michelle Obama normalizes Sasha's anxious feelings. Yay, Michelle! (laughs) That was a recent episode a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. My children feel anxious about different things. My son may feel anxious about making phone calls, and my daughter may feel anxious about academics, but they don't always share in the same anxiety. If I normalize the anxiety for my daughter saying, you should feel nervous, am I inadvertently sending the message to my son who doesn't feel anxiety about academics, the message that he should feel nervous? In my kids' situations, he simply doesn't seem to care if he does well academically, and she really does. How do I parent them both well? Mm. Okay. When Michelle was normalizing Sasha's anxiety, Sasha came to her and said, I'm feeling anxious. And Michelle asked her why. And she said, well, because she was worried about doing well on a test. And also she had, I think she procrastinated about an assignment. And Michelle said, well, yeah, I mean, the reason you feel anxious is because you procrastinated and now the pressure's on. So Michelle wasn't saying, I want you to feel anxious, or it's good for you to feel anxious, or yay for anxiety, it's going to help you get your work done. She was saying, 
when you are in this situation where the pressure is on or when you're experiencing something challenging, it's totally normal for you to feel some anxiety. To answer this mom's question, if her daughter, who is perhaps a little perfectionistic and gets worried about academics, what I want this mom to be able to do is to say, yeah, of course, your worry shows up. You want to do well. This is a place where your worry really grabs on. And so it doesn't surprise me that your worry would show up in this situation. Now, saying that doesn't mean that the son listening is going to say, oh gosh, that means I'm supposed to feel worried too. I better develop anxiety about school. What it might say actually is that a little worry on his part might be a little bit helpful if he doesn't care, but who knows. So to me, this was a good example of somebody saying, you know, like I talked about at the beginning, oh, what if I say the wrong thing? And am I teaching them how to be anxious? It's okay. Really just normalize it for your daughter and say, yeah, I get that you feel a little anxious about it. This is challenging. How are we going to manage that worry when it shows up? And if it doesn't show up for your son, I don't think that he's going to hear you say that to your daughter and then suddenly be like, oh gosh, now I'm anxious about it too. If he's anxious about making phone calls, that's just content. So say he has to make a phone call and he gets worried about it. You go, yeah, this is the thing that makes you worry. It's interesting. People worry about different things, right? Your sister can make a phone call and she doesn't care about it. Or I can make a phone call and I don't care about it. But when you make a phone call, your worry pops up. How are we going to manage it? The content doesn't matter. What I mean by that is that we want kids to understand that when they're stepping into things that feel challenging or uncertain or things that they're just not their strength, that it's okay for them as they're stepping into this arena for them to feel some anxiety. It's okay. The point of me telling that Michelle Obama story was that we can't pathologize every emotion that our kids feel. There are certain situations in which the feeling is absolutely appropriate to the situation. Normalizing doesn't mean that then we say you're supposed to feel anxious, right? It's okay. You feel anxious. Michelle said, yeah, you should feel anxious because you procrastinated. It's really about saying, yeah, it's okay that you feel anxious. That's perfectly appropriate. And now we're going to handle it, whatever the situation might be. Speaking of allowing your kids to have some autonomy and be able to experience a little bit of anxiety, my friend Karen sent me this 20 minute like video story, I think it was in the New York Times, about these two kids who in the 60s, they drove their little Shetland pony from Needham, Mass to Montreal. By themselves? Yes. How old were they? 11 and 9. Wow. So it is the most delightful 20 minutes that you will spend. We'll put the link so people can get it, but it's called The Pony Boys. It was in the New York Times. Their names are the Whittemores, which is interesting because that's my middle name too. Yeah. So I guess the story went that one of the boys was in school and the teacher said to the mom, your son doesn't know how to read a map. And the mom was like, oh yeah, I'll teach him. And so they planned out this adventure and their little pony, King, was a little Shetland pony, took them to Montreal. And then people began to learn about it. Like the press started following them. So they would go into a town And the town would be waiting for them to arrive and then somebody would help them, you know, house the pony for the night and give them food. And they had a tent. They said they never even had to use the tent. It was just an amazing story of sending kids off on an adventure. I won't give more away, but everybody should watch it. It was delightful. This was in the 70s, you said? Was the Montreal Expo in 1967, I think, maybe? It was in the 60s. 60s. Yeah, this was clearly not something from last year. 
It was not something from last year. Yes, that mom would be in jail now, which is very sad. Well, that's what the whole sort of free range kid movement started because a woman, her son, she lived in Manhattan and her son wanted to see if he could navigate on the subway from point A to point B. I think it was nine. So they made a plan. She left him at one stop and then was going to meet him at the other stop and let him figure out how to get from point A to point B. She wrote a story about it for the Atlantic or something like that. And people lost their minds. Yeah. So she wrote a book about it. And that was more recently. But it is a delightful story. It's a delightful video to watch. It would actually be pretty cool to watch it with your kids. I think it would spark a lot of discussion. Pony Boys. The Pony Boys. Yeah. If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community. And we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.